0: Well, for obvious reasons, it seems fitting that we talk about the significance of Jesus this morning, given that it is the day after Christmas. So we'll talk about the significance of Jesus. Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, a nowhere town, even by definition regarding the name Bethlehem. This Jesus who was raised in a next-to-nowhere town, Nazareth. But this Jesus who is described with these words... And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Born in Bethlehem? That's like an insult. You'd never want to name your church Bethlehem Bible Church, by the way. Nothingness Bible Church. Raised in Nazareth? Nazareth? Common saying of the day? Could any good thing come out of Nazareth? And yet, reading from Hebrews chapter 1, he is the exact Radiance of his glory the son the son of God born in Bethlehem raised in Nazareth Showing his humility no doubt and we want to contemplate the significance of Jesus this morning And so if you have a Bible you can turn to Hebrews chapter 1. I just read from Hebrews chapter 1 the first four verses and we are going to continue looking at this passage. We did this last Sunday as well. We'll continue looking at this passage because this passage, perhaps like no other one, answers the question posed by the song we sang earlier, in that favorite carol. What child is this? What child is this? Well, Hebrews 1, 1 to 4 answers in a profound way. I counted at least nine answers to that question. What child is this? And uh, that's what we're going to do this morning. We'll review some of the answers, and then we'll look at some of the new answers and even have some new information in the review. So what child is this? And if it helps you to sort of be engaged, I don't even mind if you ask in it a little bit more flippant way. Here we are celebrating the birth of Jesus, born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. What child is this anyway? If that's what engages your mind. Well, let's talk about what child this is anyway, and let's be impressed as the Hebrew recipients originally were to be impressed that they would worship him, that they would honor him with their lives, that they would not turn to the right or to the left to do anything else when it comes to their redemption, that they would focus on Christ and Christ alone. And that's what I'll be trying to encourage you to do this morning as well. Number one, what child is this? He is the final word from God. He is the final word from God. Chapter 1, verse 1, Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. You're, you're meant to sense the, the, the climax of it all, even in the first verse right there. Oh yes, God has spoken. Just read the first 39 books of the Bible and see that He's spoken in many diverse, different ways. It's been amazing that people have actually been able to hear from God in all of these different ways. And yet, climax, culmination, bringing all of those sometimes miscellaneous pieces together in what was intended from the very beginning. He's spoken to us in His Son. It's grand great. That tells us that we actually don't need something new from God. We don't need to keep seeking something better, something extra, even as the Hebrew Christians were perhaps tempted to do. No, 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 no. Let me remind you of just who this Jesus is. Yeah, God is a talking God, and He's talked in a lot of different ways through different prophets, but let me remind you, now we have the ultimate, not Abraham, not Moses, not someone else. We have his son. And I'll remind you of that too. Whenever someone comes to me and says, Pastor, you've, you've got, have you heard about so-and-so? They're a prophet of God. Have you heard about so You've got to read their book because they're giving us new information from God. I'm not interested. Because to look for something more is actually to look for something less. Right? Because in these last days, he's spoken to us, and he's spoken to us through his Son. That compels me to seek no other revelation from God. I want to focus on the Son. As a Christian, and as a Christian pastor, I don't want to point you to me. I don't want to point you to somebody else. I want to point you to God's ultimate, culminating, climaxing, ultimate And so, what child is this? He is God's final revelation. God's ultimate revelation. I would encourage you today, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Number two, what child is this? He's the heir of all things. He's the heir of all things. Also in verse 2, regarding his son, whom he appointed the heir of, purposely, Inclusive, broad, arms reached out, the heir of all things. Why would you go somewhere else if you can go to Jesus who outranks everybody because he is the heir of all things? Fulfillment of Psalm chapter 2. Ask the Father, Son, and I'll give it all to you. And the Father has done that to the Son. And again, original context, these are Hebrew Christians who are struggling. Should we look for something new? Should we look for something more? Should we go back to something old? Why would you go anywhere other than Jesus? Heir of all things. Let's keep moving by way of review. What child is this? Number three, he's the creator of the world. Oh, that's something. (laughs) How about that in verse 2? His son... Through whom, so by agency of, by means of, also God, He created the world. How about that? Where, where else would you go? How, how can you outdo that? And, and the implied answer is you can't outdo that. Not in a million years. It's impossible. He, 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 and he uses this broad term. He created everything. And so why would you want to seek quote, unquote, spirituality from someone else or something else. Through him, he created everything that is. Wow. Amazing. You say, do you really believe that, Pat? You know, if we just talked offline, maybe in the bookstore afterward or something. Hey, pastor, you know, hey, you do really, you really believe that Jesus made the world? believe he made the world that's historic orthodox Christianity that's what we see right here on the text of scripture before us I don't worship Jesus because he was a nice middle easterner who was for peace stop and think about it why would we worship why would we worship him why would the angels from heaven worship him if he were only some nice guy who had, you know, peace protests. We would worship him like Christians have been worshiping him since he came here because he is so far beyond anything and everything we could possibly imagine because he's indeed none other than the creator. So you get on your face and you worship him. Amazing. You say, I don't know if I buy that. I just submit to you the Christian message. That is why we are fanatical. What, you worship him or something? That's exactly right. What is he, God or something? That's exactly right. That's what we're talking about. The creator, none other than Christ himself. It's amazing to consider. Let's move on to number four. What child is this? He's the radiance of the glory of God. We can just read the text there. No need for elaboration. Verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God? He's shown it in a lot of different ways, but you want to see the brightness. You want to see the ultimate in the glory of God? You look to Jesus. Okay, that's what he's getting at. Number five, what child is this? Very similar to number four. He is the exact imprint of God's nature. That's what verse three says. And he is the exact imprint of his nature. This is why Jesus said, if you've seen me, what? You've seen the Father. You want to know who God is? Look to Jesus. The exact imprint of his nature. You see, this is why, again, just to remind you of the obvious. This is why all the songs are about Jesus. This is why we pray in Jesus' name. This is why we talk about Jesus all the time. This is why we call it Christianity. Because there's no one like him. And so be encouraged by that. At the same time, know you've got to look to him. At the same time, know that it's worth looking to Him. Again, just for a moment to consider what was going on when this letter first needed to be written, and we're we're in a different scenario than these original recipients were, but not altogether different. Feeling the pressure, cultural pressure, family pressure. You know, it's pretty tough. It's been a couple, uh, couple of years now, and I haven't been invited to dinner by my family for the holidays. Literally. Not our same holidays. But since we're in holiday mode, holiday season now, you might be able to appreciate a little bit of that. Why? Because we think Jesus is the creator. Because we think Jesus is everything. The exact representation of his nature. You know what? I kind of miss my mom. It may have been thought. I miss my dad, I miss my nieces and nephews, I miss the culture, I even miss some of the religious traditions, some of the smells, some of the sounds, that's what's going on. But to do that, it would be to trade in Jesus. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, you've got to remember who he is. And while we're not in the same scenario as they're in exactly, no doubt we are people also, and we have come out of something and some kind of background, and we go through the difficult times and different seasons and different times. And so in that sense, I want to echo the sentiment of of the Hebrew writer and say, look to Christ. He's worth it. Where else would you go? There's nowhere else to go. That is sane That is reasonable look to Christ number six what child is this he's in control of the universe he's in control of the universe also verse three and as if this isn't enough and he upholds holds together he upholds the universe by the word of his power Notice it's personal. He's upholding it. It's not uh, impersonal. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. Even the idea that is not quite so clear in our English translation, but the word choice he uses, that he's actually taking the universe somewhere, that he's in charge and he's in control, and it's moving in the direction he wants it to go in. So think about that amidst the chaos, amidst confusion, amidst all of the, the, the seeming cycles that seem to just come and go and come and go and come and go. And know this, from a Christian worldview, we actually think history actually, even though it doesn't always look this way, is linear. Oh yes, we have cycles, but the cycles are going somewhere. To culmination and guess how we know they're going somewhere. Guess who we credit with taking it somewhere. His name is Jesus And he is taking the universe Not by the sweat of his brow Effortlessly by the word of his mouth You know me I do this when I think it's good It's a bad habit, but man, this is good This is one who's worthy of worship This is the one that we bow down before and we say, He's everything to us. That's what child this is. He's in charge. He's in control. Now we move on to some things we haven't talked about. Number seven, what child is this? This child is the perfect priest. Now things shift in this passage to things that have more to do with atonement and His work. He's the perfect priest. Maybe just to pause for a second and, and, and maybe if I could just try to encourage you to try, even though it's impossible to do entirely, try, try to do your best to, maybe with God's help, to set aside your, your here and now cultural um, points of reference when it comes to priests. You might have good ideas of priests. You might have bad ideas of priests. Just try to just do your best to set aside what you see in Omaha, Nebraska, or wherever you live. 21st century and do your best and some of you can do this better than others do your best to do what the author is intending and that's to think in terms of Old Testament priest because that's where he's going Jesus is the ultimate priest He's going to use priest terminology, not the priest we think of, priests from the Old Testament, the priests that go and make sacrifices, blood sacrifices, that go and atone, toning sacrifices to satisfy God's justice. That calls for life where there is sin, which is ultimately a call for death. With, with that in mind, notice what it says toward the end of verse 3. After making, speaking of Jesus, after making purification for sins... You can even stop right there. That's priest talk. He doesn't call him a priest yet. He will in chapter 2, verse 17. But after making purification for sins. Jesus is the perfect priest because after making purification for sins. And where he's going to go, and we'll see this in a little while, in the book of Hebrews, is to emphasize this is a final purification. After, as in, after ultimately making purification. Never to be done ever Again. That's how great Jesus is. And if you're thinking in terms of Old Testament priests, which he's asking us to do in the book of Hebrews, this just doesn't happen. The Old Testament priest is never done. If he's using uh, phraseology here from Day of Atonement, which he seems to be, where we know Yom Kippur, you see it on your calendar coming up sometimes, you say, What is that? It's like Canadian Boxing Day or something. You think I have no frame of reference. Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Well, it shouldn't actually be on your calendar because it's not actually celebrated. Because for Day of Atonement to be celebrated as it is in the Old Testament would be for the annual Day of Atonement happening every year, and there actually is atonement made. Atonement not by being nice to other people. No, that's not what God calls for. Yom Kippur, to be to, to atone for sins by sacrifice that the high priest every single year would go and make sacrifice for the people so there could be forgiveness. That's what he has in mind, it certainly would seem, and I know that's what he has in mind based upon what he's going to say later in the book. And think about this. What makes Jesus so radical, the ultimate high priest, is he has made purification not to do it next year and not to do it the next year. How about never to do it again? Because he, as the high priest, not only goes in to make sacrifice, he himself is the sacrifice. The sinless sacrifice. Does it get any better? Answer, no. <laughs> it just doesn't. It just absolutely doesn't get Any better than what we see here. Jesus is so different from what had been before. Look what it goes on to say in verse three. Having, after making purification for sins, he sat down. Again, emphasizing this is final. There's nothing left to be done. His work is finished. I just want to, right now I've been standing up all morning and I want to sit down. But in a totally different sense. He's sitting down to never have to stand up again to do a sacrifice. It's over. My friends, this is why we worship him. This is why no other religion will do. Every religion in some way or another tries to have atonement, to pay for your sins. There's only one that would say sins have been paid for by someone else, once and for all, never to be dealt with again. Now, this, this, will, wreck, this will wreck religion. You're trying to control people, and you're trying to, 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 to keep them under your thumb. You're trying to make a buck off of somebody. This just doesn't fly. Because it keeps pointing to Christ who did it all. Perfectly and completely, once for all. And you say, what compares to that? That's exactly the point. Nothing. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And here's what's happening again. The temptation is to get distracted by the stuff and the here and now and the pressure that you feel from different corners of your life. And so the call in the book of Hebrews is to remind us who Jesus is. He is the one who sat down. It was so done, he sat down. This is what the whole argument is about. Let's just see it somewhere else in Hebrews. Hebrews 7, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12. Just so you see. And basically what's happening in Hebrews 1, verses 1 to 4, you have a preview of the whole book. So you want to know what the whole book is about. Here you go. This will help you. And all the rest is details. But let's just get a sampling from Hebrews 7, Hebrews 10, Hebrews 12. And I'm going to use self-control to not read the whole chapters. Lest we be here next Christmas. This is, this is just what it's all about, ultimately, because it's all about Christ. He, he is our sufficient high priest, needing no other priest. He's our sufficient atonement, securing our forgiveness. Hebrews 7.27 says this, He has no need like those priests to offer sacrifices daily. And by the way, he's not only dealing in the book with Day of Atonement, he's dealing with all the other sacrifices. But he's not like those, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people, since he did this, here's the three most important words of that verse, once for all, when he offered up himself. Okay, turn over to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 12, we're going to see essentially the same thing, and it says in Hebrews 10, 12, but when Christ had offered, here's our three important words in this verse, for all time. Time. A single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Hebrews 12, 2, similarly, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter, I like that, now we get it in one word, perfecter. The founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's what we saw a preview of in chapter 1, verse 3. Complete. But not only is what he did important, and that he is seated, it's even important to see the significance of where he's seated. We just saw he's seated at the right hand of God. Or as our text says, the right hand of the majesty on high. Let's talk just for a moment or two about why that's important. Think with me about the fact that Jesus is not only the one who perfectly made atonement. He, he perfectly paid for our sins, but that he, and he sat down showing it's finished. But even think with me about how amazing it is that he's seated at the right hand of the throne on high. That is God the Father. If he's seated at God's right hand, that tells us that God the Father is pleased with what the Son has done. He's he's satisfied. I'm satisfied with what you've done, my Son. So sit now. Your work is done. I'm satisfied completely. Now sit at my right hand and rule and reign with me. Isn't that a great picture? On Christmas Eve, we looked at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Look look at that passage and see that that, that reality fleshed out a little bit. Whether you were here with us or not, go ahead and look at that passage and see the pleasure, the satisfaction of the Father with what the Son has done, which is seen in in the fact that he's seated at the right hand of God. It says in chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. Referring to Jesus, he had to become one of us in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. Now he's actually called a priest. Here's what I really wanted you to see. In the service of God. So in what he's done, in what he's done here on earth in making atonement, he was doing this, yes, for our benefit, but he was in doing it, he was doing it in service to God. He sends him here on a rescue mission to bring atonement for his people. And so he's done this in service of God. And then please notice how he unpacks it at the end of verse 17 to make propitiation. That's a a priestly term meaning satisfaction. Another idea would be another synonym would be atonement to make propitiation, satisfaction for the sins of the people. My son, sit at my right hand. Hand, the place of privilege, because in your service to me, you have made propitiation, satisfaction for the sins of the people. You have satisfied my justice. I'm the one who has said from the very, very beginning if you sin, you will die. You went and died on behalf of the people satisfying me and my righteous demands. This is awesome. This is unmatched. And some of us said, well, the God I believe in doesn't need to be propitiated. I believe in the God of love. This is the God of love who loved us so much that he himself becomes a man to satisfy his own wrath on our behalf because he has more than one attribute. God's only attribute isn't love. In fact, we wouldn't even know about God's love if it weren't for his justice. So don't shortchange yourself here. You want to know about the love of God? We deserve death and he gives us life because he propitiates his own wrath is splendid it's important that he sits at the right hand of the majesty on high also because that means it's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy Psalm 110 verse 1 specifically Old Testament speaks of one who will come as the great king one who will come in the line of David One who will come, I might say, as the greater David. One who will come as the ultimate David. One who will come and rule and reign perfectly for eternity. And he will be the one who sits at the right hand of the Father. Well, this isn't something the human David ever did. But you know, according to the genealogy, Jesus comes in the line of David. He's the one. Now, Jesus speaks of this matter in a very... A way that I think is pretty ironic. Listen, listen to what Jesus said during his trial in Matthew twenty-six, verse sixty-four. This is this is the Jewish high priest irony of ironies. The Jewish high priest is trying Jesus, who is the high priest. With that in mind, listen to this. Jesus said to him, "You have said so, but I tell you, pal." <laughs> Insertion, I put that in there. (laughs) Mr. High Priest, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man, referring to Himself, Jesus speaking, seated at the right hand of power. Psalm 110, verse 1, I'm Him. You're a chump. You're an imposter. You're a nobody. I am the fulfillment of the promise to David. It's awesome. So it's important that Jesus is seated, but it's important that he's seated to show that the Father is satisfied with his sacrifice. It's important also to see that he is, to use the Old Testament word, Mashiach. He's Messiah. Our New Testament word, Christ. The anointed King. My friends, why would you go anywhere else? Why would you go somewhere else? There's nowhere else to go. To go somewhere else is insanity. It doesn't make sense. The perfect priest, his name is Jesus, offering perfect atonement. Let's move on. Number eight. What child is this? He is sovereign. He is sovereign. We see this in verse three. Also, same text we just looked at. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. The right hand of the majesty on high. Sounds like a, I should hear Handel playing. It just doesn't get any more grand or exalted. This is about rulership. This is about reigning. This is about being in charge. This is about being the one, the king of kings and lord of lords. This is about Jesus being sovereign. That's what this is about. It's a good reminder to us that Jesus doesn't remain forever, the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. This is a good reminder to us that Jesus doesn't remain forever as a baby at the breast of Mary, as so much art historically has pictured him, and oftentimes overemphasized so as to almost seemingly keep him there. He's the sovereign who is at the right hand of God. That's who we worship. He answers to no human being. That's why I would worship him. That's why Christians have for so many years. Philippians 2, you know the passage? He's given the name which is above every name so that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So don't settle for anything else. Let's move on to number nine and, and wrap things up. Number nine what child is this? He's superior to angels. He's superior to angels. Before we read the verse, remember, chapter 1, verse 2, you have the Son through whom God creates the world. So we have the Son existing before He's even incarnated. We have the Son existing before creation. We have the eternal Son. But we also would see, we're not going to take the time to look through Scripture and see that He, for a little while, is lower than angels. Okay? Okay. Because he humbled himself and came to earth. So with that in mind, let's go ahead and read verse 4. Having become as much superior, this is in light of his work, after his work, after his incarnation, after his atonement, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Oh, yes, he was here, and he was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, all of that business, and he was made lower than the angels, but you've got to know that he has been been so far highly exalted above them, it's not even funny. It's incalculable. And so know that he's worthy of worship. That's why the angels would worship him. He is unique from them. This is significant in light of the fact, again, we're not very... I'm speaking for myself and my own indictment on myself. I don't think biblically enough. And so I think angels, what's a big deal with angels? But if you're really saturated in the world of the Old Testament, angels are used in giving divine revelation. Characteristically so. Angels accompany redemption at different times. Angels are a big deal. But then sometimes, especially if you're not thinking clearly about Christ, you start thinking they're a bigger deal than He is. And he's saying, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> he's been given a name far, far more excellent than theirs. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know very many people that struggle with this. I don't know very many people that say, you know, I'm really having a hard time. I'm starting to think that, that angels are better than Jesus. I've never met someone who said that. But I do know many, 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 many. How many more times should I say it? Many, many, many. I know a lot of people who do, in the name of spirituality, right? Put all the emphasis on other spiritual things and spiritual beings. And don't put the emphasis where it should be, and that's on Jesus. I'm not religious, I'm just spiritual. Okay. Just don't want any boundaries. That's called Romans 1, that's called idolatry, but that's a different sermon. (laughs) I just want to have God according to my own image and according to my own likeness. But there is an application when we put our eyes and our focus on spiritual beings, spiritual things, spiritual isms, we've forgotten that Jesus has the name that is above and beyond even legitimate angels. Not to mention the made-up ones. He's above Gabriel, real angel, legitimate angel. He's above Michael, real angel, legitimate angel. And so surely he's above all of the goofball ones we make up. Right? So we've got to remember that. In the name of I'm seeking something. Home. Um, that's appealing. Wow. You know what? Remember who Jesus is. He's above the real angels. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense at all. We're talking about the superiority of Christ. Well, perhaps you're thinking, is all this guy ever talks about is Jesus? Man, if that's what you're thinking, I'll give you five bucks. (laughs) I so hope you're thinking that. Because in these last days, he's spoken. And he's spoken to us in his Son, Perfect priest. Creator. Sustainer. Sovereign above the angels. He's everything. This is why Christians have even summarized Christ in these three offices, and we see all three of them in these verses. Jesus Christ is ultimate prophet. Jesus Christ is ultimate priest. Jesus Christ is ultimate king. Why would we give devotion to someone we wouldn't, we shouldn't, why would we want to? doesn't make any sense. I, I plead with you, as you go through your difficulties in life, whether it be persecution or just the challenges of living in a sinful world with other sinful human beings, I just encourage you with all the warmth of my heart, I can possibly muster with God's help. And if you don't take well to being treated kindly, then as sternly as I can tell you, (laughs) I plead with you to look to Christ and not the circumstance and not the people and think somehow that something or someone else is going to do it for you because it just isn't so. It just isn't. What child is this? The King of Kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone Him. That's a good way for us to end before we pray. Father, thank you for our time together as we consider Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith. And may we cherish him as our great prophet, our great priest, and our great king. And Lord, help us who are believing in him, trusting in him, depending upon him, Help us as we leave to be reminded even today that it is all about him and what he's done. It's not even all about our response to him. It's all about him, which even brings the response. May we see the beauty of Christ and the power of Christ and the mercy of Christ. And may that be what sustains us in our living, in our suffering and in our dying. In Jesus' name, amen.